All right, I know y'all are getting tired of me this morning, so it's my uh, honor to introduce Nettie Winters. You know, it's interesting, I always just really love the music, and it always seems to be so fitting that, that I am a child of God. We are all children of God, basically what we call a race outside of a race, which we should be humble and gentle. We have the same Father. We have the same Holy Spirit. We all worship the same Jesus Christ. And that's what puts us together. Nettie Winters has spent most of his time over the last many years with an organization called Mission Mississippi. And I think, you know, that message, we are all children of God, is very important. And it's fitting that our reading is from that and our our music is from that this morning. He's a native Mississippi, uh, native Mississippian, Raised in Tunica, is a graduate of, get this right, Alcorn State University. I never thought I would come to Mississippi and people make fun of the way I talk, but it's, uh, and uh, he has spent most of his life through teaching, pastoring for over 20 years, and through organizations uh, like Mission Mississippi, trying to bring us together in the state of Mississippi, and so It's, like I said, my honor to welcome you to our our service. He's been here before, and we just thank you so much for your time, sir. Well, good morning. morning. I think I'll stay on the floor today. The last time I hit, somebody thought I was going to fall off, so (laughs) I was going to step off and do something. So I think I'll stay on the floor with you. How about that? Can I do that this morning? Is that okay? Yeah. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful. We are grateful. We are privileged to be here today. Thank you for including us in your day. What a beautiful day that you've given us the privilege to be a part of. It's our prayer now, God, that you would stand in this place. In fact, we pray that you stand in our bodies and that you would think, speak, and act for us. Say whatever you want to say. Do whatever you want to do and go wherever you want to go. Do within us and through us and for us that which you're willing to do. Make us open and receptive to your word. Oh, God, we pray now for receptive hearts that we can receive and walk in all that you have for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This, this morning, I want to share with you a few minutes on Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I don't know. Uh, David <clears throat> uh, read some scripture, and, and, and he called my name right in the middle of it, right at the part that says, uh, love covers a multitude of sin. I'm not sure what that meant about me when he called my name and <laughs> excited. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I'm going to read maybe longer than I preach. How about that? I just feel like there's not much more after reading the word of God and hearing the word of God and then led to doing the word of God. There's really not a whole lot more that's more important than just hearing the word. Hearing the word. Um, this is the New King James Version of, of, of the Bible. It says in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and, and as I begin to read that, I want you to follow along with this, that he, he has just articulated in chapter 11 about what is faith and how impossible it is to fee, please God without faith. And then he gave us multitudes of examples of those heroes, and, and, and some people call it the Hall of Faith in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. He talked about those. And so in this, in, in this chapter 12, it says, 
therefore, and because you know that therefore is there for what he just said. He says, after we've seen of what's taking place up to chapter 11, but specifically in chapter 11, therefore, therefore, based on what I just shared with you for the last 11 chapters, especially the 11th chapter, and all these heroes that stand before us, he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor discourage you when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scrouges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who correct us, and we pay them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirit and life? For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them, but he who, <clears throat> but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness, now, no chastening seemed to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of the righteousness of those who have been trained by it. And it goes on to talk about some other things, and, and you may take some time to read the full chapter, the 12th chapter, because I, when I come to the end it says, uh, the, I really like the part that says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. I remember being raised up, and, and my mother would look at me, and, and when she got ready to beat me, she didn't just spank me. She'd look at me and say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurt you. And I said, well, I want you to just beat you and not beat me. And so no, no reason for both of us to be hurting, right? <laughs> She's going to be hurting, but that didn't work. And so uh, we both hurt it through that. And so uh, I just really want to focus on the first four verses of this, and I'm going to read them again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Let us run with endurance grace that is set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of the highest honor besides God's throne in heaven. A uh, couple of points that you might want to jot down or remember is the instructions for the race. He referred to as the race. So he's given us the instructions for the race or the demands of the race, whatever you want to call it. Then he gives us the inspiration for the race and the invitation for the race. And lastly, he gives us the... Um, um, mm, 
should remember that, the incentives for the race. I'll run through those again. Number one, we have the instructions for the race. We have the inspiration for the race, the invitation for the race, and the incentive for the race, and all in the first four verses here. And so as I think about the race, and, and, and as Paul points out, and Paul uses that, this, this analogy of race and farmers and so many different things, because, depending on who his audience was. And so this was the Grecian audience, and they were accustomed to talking about the race and the arena and those things. And so he says, uh, in here he says, let us lay aside every weight that so easily uh, ensnares us and lay aside the sin that ensnares us as well. And so we don't want to slow our progress down. One of the things that John Hugh challenged me as we were talking about me coming to visit with you and sharing with you is that the challenge was is that, Nettie, if this was going to be your last sermon to this congregation, what would you say to them? The last time I was here, I talked about the lordship of Jesus Christ, the, the rights for him to have lordship of our lives because he's done. And then the reality uh, of him being Lord and what that looked like. And, and also, and, and lastly, I talked about the rules of Lordship and home and work and, and individually, that he would be Lordship in every aspect, every detail of our lives. And so I believe that if this was our last opportunity to hear a sermon or the last opportunity for me to give a sermon of both together and uh, how that works out and that we had to leave here today and we would never hear a sermon again what is it that I could say to you that would help you endure to the end? And I thought that making sure that Jesus is Lord of your life, every aspect, every detail is the most important thing. On the radio this morning, the, the, the preacher said that, what is the greatest thought you ever had? And, and he talked about something else. Well, the greatest thought I ever had was when I confessed my sins and say, Lord, come into my life. I think that's the greatest thought that I ever had, and I don't think it was of me. I think it was of the Holy Spirit that led me to decide that at that point in my life, I needed a Savior, and Jesus is my Savior. So I would encourage you, if Jesus is not your Savior and Lord, there's a difference between being saved and, and, and having somebody rule your life as Lord. And so today, I would love for you to leave here with the assurance in your heart that I am saved and that Jesus is the Lord of my life, that he ruled, reigned in my life, not only when I'm here on Sunday, but every aspect, every detail of our life. I believe if the majority of Christians in Mississippi and around the world would, would live the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives, we would not have a race problem, and we would not have a political problem, and we would not have a gender problem, we would not have all the problems that we face today. But because something else is the object of our faith other than the Lord Jesus Christ, we've all kind of problems and uh, things that we have to negotiate in life that we could forego. Uh, I remember this song growing up in church. It said for me to, that I think the song goes something like this. I'm not a person that sings. I just remember what they say and most of the time, I don't remember all they say, but it says, Oh, what needless pains we bear because we don't carry everything to the Lord in prayer. Man, we're going to show up. I know that I am. I'm going to show up in heaven, and I'm going to think, Wow, all of those boxes on that wall was for me, and I missed them because I cannot live totally, completely allowing Jesus to be the Lord of my life. He got all these wonderful things that he want to do for us, all the great things, and, and how he want us to live to the best that he created us to be. And we miss so much because we have other things 
that we look to rather than looking to him. Man, the joy. He says the joy. And so uh, the instructions is simply this. He says, have, have discipline elimination. Now, there are some things that I could talk about for the next two days about some things that, that I could eliminate, we could eliminate together from our life. He says discipline elimination. Because most of the time when I hear the word discipline, I think about uh, whipping, I think about being punished, I think about those things. But also I think about the discipline to not eat what is set before me. The discipline to eat that which I don't want to eat. That's best for me. And so I call it a dubby whammy. Uh, last night I was in Laurel and we was at a banquet. I had the privilege of speaking to these people at the banquet and they had this table with all these wonderful desserts on it. And then they had the first, uh, as we went through the line, the first uh, four entrees of whatever it is that they had. I think they had about six of them there. They were all filled with all meatballs and, 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 and chicken and all, all this wonder. And I walked right past it. And one of the people said, well, you don't eat meat? And I'm doing my best to keep on down the line. And they kept after me. Eventually, I took two of the wings, you know. That was not discipline. Do you understand? That was not discipline. And then when I got to the, to the desserts, they said, you don't need that. And there was fruit there. And I took a bowl of fruit, and, and, and I tried to fill a bowl up with fruit. And the lady kept looking at me like, that's enough. And so I had room left. I wanted to eat the fruit because that's the best thing there probably. But I wanted to eat the, eat the fruit. But then I said, wouldn't that pound cake be good with this pineapple? And so I laid there. <laughs> See, that's not very good discipline. I, I need to eliminate the stuff I want to eliminate. I can't. The stuff that, that I need to include, and I don't have a discipline to include it. And so he said, lay aside every weight. And I remember running track in high school, and I remember that, that the coach wanted us to script down everything. He had us to have these little thin shirts and, and shorts and, 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 and very light tennis on because he wanted us to run and, and, and run fast. And he said, lay aside every weight. And I remember practicing. We would put the weights around our legs and do all of those things that we had practiced running with all of this stuff. And so when we were free that stuff, we could fly like a bird. That was the, the whole, like, run real fast. And so the discipline to eliminate things from our lives, boy, that is amazing. Most of us working and, and do what we do to have the privilege someday to sit down. You know, uh, I just had a picture in my mind is that someday I'm going to get an opportunity to go to the beach and I'll be sitting on the beach with this little glass sitting beside me with a twist of lemon and a little umbrella on it. You know what I'm talking about? And so most of us work for the, for the, for, for the thing that we think is going to give us this joy, this contentment, this happiness within, and only to find out that we work hard for all of that. And when we realize and, and get to enjoy that or get to experience that, it really don't do anything but want us to make more of something that's not going to ever please us. And we keep going after more and more of that thing. But, but the joy of knowing that Jesus is my Lord, he can fill any void, any hole in my heart. And he said, discipline, elimination. There are some things we need to eliminate. And just for a moment, I just want to spend some time thinking about doing the last election and doing even now as we go forward, is that we could eliminate a lot of the rhetoric, couldn't we? There's a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of things we could just not say. You know, they encourage the president to stop tweeting. You know, you, you, you know they say that he does more harm to himself than he would if he just not do anything, right? Well, we can't look too bad at the president because most of us engage brain and insert foot, right? Or should I say we don't engage the brain before we insert the foot. 
And then we insert the foot, and then the brain all, all of a sudden get engaged. Then we think, boy, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I, sh- I shouldn't have said that. I don't know what I was thinking. You weren't thinking. That's why you said it. If you were thinking, you wouldn't have said it, right? And so I don't have this difference. Eliminate a lot of the rhetoric, a lot of the complaining and disputing. If you read Paul's letter to the Philippians and to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians and to, and to the Romans, he talks about, especially in Corinthians, he talks about disputing, complaining, arguing, and bickering, and fighting with one another. He wants us to eliminate that. How do we eliminate that? Even when we go back and we look in, in Exodus and we look in Numbers and we find that, that as the people went toward the promised land, you know, the first obstacle, they come first bumping the road. They looked at Moses and said, we told you to leave us alone. You, what, the grave now is not big enough in Egypt? And you cried out to the Lord and the Lord has delivered you. And the first exit out of Egypt, the first thing you do is complain to him about what, what are we going to do? And this gave Aaron, I mean, to Moses, what for, right? See, they, we don't understand, and they didn't understand that the deliverance from, e, uh, from Egypt was bringing us to our salvation across the Red Sea. And between the Red Sea and the Jordan River, we had to cross to get into the Promised Land. That was all kinds of things. They took a 35-day march and turned it into a 40-year journey. When I think about that, we do a lot of that. I do. You know, sometimes I've, I've been known to say stuff like, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. Now I'm going to give it to you. I'm sure the Lord is standing there and said, you idiot. If you'd have given it to me to begin with, you wouldn't have to go around and around and around. You wouldn't have to bump that wall so many times. All of those knots would not be on your head from running into this fence and doing those other things we do. So discipline elimination. And then he says... The instruction is that we eliminate this stuff. And then he says, you have determined endurance. I have this desire to serve the Lord. I have this desire. I have this passion. But you know, that desire is not going to get me there. What gets me there is my determination and my discipline to eliminate stuff and to endure some stuff. Wow. Over the last, I guess, 26 years that I've been a part of Mission Mississippi, I've had to endure some stuff. I've had to hear some stuff that I didn't want to hear. I've had to do some stuff that I didn't want to do. I had to put up with some stuff that I didn't want to put up. I have to go into places that I don't feel very comfortable going into, knowing that they really don't want me in that place. But God said, go anyway. And I'm thinking, God, can I just do this some other way at some other time? Isn't there another way to do this? Even Jesus had that discussion with the Father. He says, nevertheless, remove this cup, but nevertheless, let your will be done. We're going to get through this race. We're going to complete it. And I know that everybody competes in a race want to win, right? If you, I'm running to win. Are you running to win? In fact, Jesus says to me often, I've already won. All you need to do is just keep running. Just keep on running, and I don't want to run in vain. And so endurance, elimination, and endurance. He says, let us run with perseverance, endurance, the race that is set before us. And so I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the inspiration for the race, but I do want to point out a couple of things about the race that, that, that gives us his inspiration for the race. He says, in the race, he says, look at the, the, in chapter 11, he says, look at some of them. Abel, who ran the race of sacrifice and won it at the cost of his life. Enoch, who ran the race of life and won it, even though he knew death had passed 
upon all men. Noah, who ran the race of testimony and won it, even though the whole world was against him. Moses, who ran the race of endurance and won it, even though it meant suffering affliction with the people of God. These men were subject to our passions, our desires, our weaknesses, and all of those things. But he pointed them out as heroes of the faith because they endured to the end. And even if you read the end of chapter 11, it said, even though they went through all of this, they did not see and have the privilege of having what we have today. And then he says, the invitation for the race, the invitation is to look at Jesus. I want you to just focus on Jesus. He says, focus on Jesus and our faith to run this race is the right focus for running and the right faith for running. The right faith is that our faith is in Christ and Christ alone. If we use Abel and Noah and Enoch and Moses, then we'll look at the, the, even though they won, but they stumble. And it cost them. Moses lost his temper. Didn't get the chance to see the promised land. So all of those things that we look at examples, you know, we're always looking for, we're asking our young folks to have role models. But I want to challenge you today, the role model, young folks, older folks, mature folks, not so older folks, whatever, you, whatever category you fall in, our example today is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Our focus should be on him for the, for the running. Our faith should be in him for the running. And if we're going to run, we're going to have to have faith in Christ and focus on Christ as he is the only example that succeeded in the right way. And so he said, look toward Jesus, looking unto Jesus. And somebody said a better interpretation that it says, look off to Jesus. And, you know, sometimes we focus so much as the people in the, in the wilderness were focused so much on the problem, even when they got to the promised land, they went into the promised land, 12 of them went in, and they came back, and the 10 said, boy, that's a great land. They brought back this humongous fruit, and, and you know, that's what honey, milk and honey mean there. And, and so they had this one thing. He said, but we can't. The 10 said, we can't. Because the eye was on the problems, on the issues, on the giants and other things, rather than being on God. God had showed off to them. When they got to the Red Sea, who brought them through the Red Sea? When they didn't have anything to drink, who hit the rock and the water came out? The manna fell from heaven. All of those things, God had demonstrated his faithfulness. He had demonstrated his ability to deliver them, even with the giants in the land. And that was Jacob, excuse me, that was uh, Joshua and Caleb, the two. Sometimes we hang out with the wrong folks. If you're hanging out with the 10, you're hanging out with the wrong folks. Isn't it amazing that sometimes, y'all just keep looking at me and nobody know what I'm talking about. It's amazing how sometimes we get in our little cliques and our little, uh, you know, I call them my cuts, my buddies, my road dogs and all that, and we get in there and, 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 and there, there, there's a theme that will start rolling. Uh, I was at a board meeting last week and, and uh, they had, dinner for us to eat of, and, and I wasn't eating, and they were all concerned about me, and one of the gentlemen in the crowd said, well, Nettie, you better eat, you know, Tommy's not going to have nothing for you to eat, and then I informed them that uh, Tommy was in Dallas with her sister, and that she's going to be there for a while, and all, all the jokes about wives running off, y'all just keep smiling now, 
Now, somebody else at the table, not me, somebody else at the table said this older guy had this sports car and said to do about 160. And so he had this car, he ripped it up. He got up to about 80 and he said, oh, boy, this feels good. He ripped it on up to 100. He got a little over 100. He looked in the rearview mirror and this guy's coming with the red lights and so forth. And he just shoved it on down, got up to 140. He got it all the way down to the 160 and the lights were still there. And he finally said, I just I need to pull over. He pulled over. And the policeman said, I don't know what in the world was on your mind. He said, I've never had a situation like this. Just tell me. Give me a good answer for why you were doing this. He says, when I saw those red lights out there, it reminded me that my wife had ran off with a policeman, and I thought you was trying to bring her back. <laughs> now, y'all send John Hugh the email, all right? <laughs> listen, listen. Isn't that how it... Now, now... He told that, and there's about six others. I just sit there and listen to him. I, I guess I was paying attention. I remember, didn't I? Listen. See, I was contaminated by them. And they all had their wives' jokes. And I thought to myself, you know, this is how it happens with us. This is how we get, get offended. This is how we get divided. This is how we have these arguments. This is how we decide who's better than the others and, and who should be. That's why eyes are, and things ought to be on Jesus, not on our issues and not on our problems. You would have thought that the people that were delivered from Egypt, how God had delivered them, how they had witnessed all the things that had taken place before they left Egypt, and even all the things that had taken place since they left Egypt, that they would have got to the promised land that they would be like Caleb and Joshua saying, we can't wait to go in there and knock these giants down. They tell my boy, I just can't wait. I can't wait to get there. He said, I know that God is going to deliver us. Won't it be fun to beat up on these giants? Now, you know it's getting bad when you call yourself a, call yourself a grasshopper. And they identified themselves. Nobody else identified themselves. Do, don't we do that sometimes? We identify ourselves, and we talk about what we can't do. But really, it's not up to us. The victory has already been won. We're just getting in on that which God has already invited us to. He's invited us to the dance and to the party because he's already won. And so our, the right focus should be on Jesus. And then uh, right faith and right focus. And then the last thing I want to say is that not only should we understand and obey and follow the instruction and be inspired and follow the example or the invitation of Christ, but also, I don't know about you, but whenever I compete, I want to win. I do not want to lose. I want to win the prize, whatever it is. Last night, um, during the break of, while they were eating and so forth, these young ladies was giving away door prizes. And, and they pulled out their tickets. You would have thought they were giving away a million dollars. And so the preacher was sitting beside me. He said, man, don't you want to win something? I said, not really, because I know what is happening. You know what y'all do with those door prizes, right? All the things that you want to re-give, you bring them and give them, you know. You know I'm really not excited because I probably got a bunch of those things already in my house that I want to re-gift to somebody else. And so they all bring them and make them door prizes, and they want to give them. And you get them, and you go like, okay. But you know what? We act as though we really want it because we what? We want to win. It's in us. It's part of our DNA. We want to win. We want to have some pride. We want to receive some benefit. Well, in this passage, he says, the incentive for this race is the joy of obedience. 
We ought to just obey because we know that at the end of the day, it's the joy and contentment of knowing that Christ has done in us and through us and for us that which pleases him and that we are pleasing him in our obedience. Paul says, I finished my work. Uh, and I mean, Jesus said, it is finished when he hung on the cross at the end of his life. Paul says, doing his, I run the race, not with uncertainty, but with certainty. And he closes his life. He says, I kept the faith. I finished my course. Now it's time to receive my crown, my reward. And he tells us that there is a crown of reward as laid up for him and each one of us as we do that. And so he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run for the prize, meaning running as to influence others for Christ. The joy of obedience and the joy of recompense. Paul says to the Philippians, he said to the Thessalonians, I'm sorry, he says, what is my joy? Except that you be in the presence of the Lord. Paul is saying to me and you that when we show up in heaven, we can have a cheering session. All of those people that said, if it had not been for you, I would have been lost. I've gone to hell. I'm here because you took the time to do what God called you to do. Wouldn't it be great to have a cheering session in, in heaven as you show up, all of these people is cheering for you, welcoming you home, excited about that? Well, Paul says that's what he's waiting for. That's called a joy of recompense. May God give us the grace to obey the instruction, respond to the inspiration, focus on the invitation, and receive the, the, receive the incentive for this heavenly race. John Muscle said, run straight, run the straight race through God's good grace. Lift up thy eyes and seek his faith. Lift its way before you lies. Christ is the past and Christ is the prize. God bless you.